나도 멋있다, 그치? 나잘 어울려? 구라를 좀 치지, 뭐. 부자친 거예요, 돈도 많이 줘. 이댁 식구들 참잘 속아, 그치? 우리도 뭔가 준비를 해야겠다. 너는 계획이 다 있구나. 내가 원래 선을 넘는 사람을 제일 싫어하는데. 오늘 이거 애들 아빠한테 꼭 비밀로 해주세요. 그래도 사랑하시죠? <웃음> 그럼 우리 바로 진행하는 거야? 나 이제 사람을 못 믿잖아. 절대 실패하지 않는 계획이 만절하네. 뭐 계획이야, 뭐 계획. Back to whose filmography is it anyway, folks? Where the points are just like the lower class. Uh, this week we covered Parasite, uh, and we come to a close on Bong Joon Ho. Uh, I cannot believe we've uh, finished another show already, but here we are, all, amidst all the highs and lows, we've made it to the end. Uh, as always, I'm your co-host uh, Josh Page. With me is my co-host and friend Steve Molina. Respect. Yeah, I can't believe uh, we are done with Bong Joon Ho after this one. This it, I, this really went by quick. Yeah. I mean, wow. I know he only had seven movies, which is uh, less than the average bear that we cover. But this is uh, this really went by quick. Yeah, real quick. So um, no, well, it's good. We'll be going over what we learned uh, and what we took away when we do our next episode. But for now, we'll. Dive into the grand finale, and grand it is. Jeez, I, I know what we're gonna end up doing this entire podcast too, because I'll just say it right off the the bat, this movie kind of reminded me of Grand Budapest Hotel in the sense that like everything that Bong had been working toward had just been built to like this movie. Like every theme that he had touched Absolutely. on, everything that has just been building to this point, and here we are. It's yeah, crazy. it's it's funny you mentioned Grand Budapest Hotel because for the folks who may or may not have been listening throughout our show, we there's been a lot of comparisons to Wes Anderson in our show. We've uh, we did Wes Anderson, and we you know came to the conclusion that as you go along, during experience, each film kind of bigger than the last, even if they're not better. And I personally felt the same way about Bong Joon-ho's movies. And it really did feel like, you know, I made a nod earlier in the, in this season, this segment of this in the Bong Joon-ho series that um, it's almost like a he's building a cinematic universe. It's kind of, there are little snip, snippets here and there that kind of feel like Parasite. And then you get to Parasite and this is kind of like the end game in a sense. It's kind of like, oh, okay, there are little things here and there from almost all of his movies. Uh, not necessarily references, but it's like you said, it's like, uh, it's just building. It's almost like a good, it's like a giant building to this moment. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, hopefully his next film is as uh, good as this one, but we'll see. Yeah. You know, they, you know, he likes to take four years to make a movie. I mean, hey, if they're worth it, you know. It, yeah. Well, you know, in South Korea, I think that the COVID numbers are like at zero. So he can film at any point he wants. It's very exciting. Good for him. So you ready to just jump right into the production stuff? Let's do it. Let's dive in. 
All right. So this is Bong Joon-ho's biggest movie. Uh, I'm not saying that in terms of scale or anything like that. I'm just saying the budget for this was $15.5 million, which was not his biggest budget. But the Mm -hmm. box office returns were $258.8 million. So box office-wise, this is his biggest movie to date. um, This is the movie that really uh, kind of, uh, I know we had said he had kind of been kind of dipping his toes into American mainstream, but this is the real, I mean, like, especially like the host, that was the first time because with bigger monster movies, he was offered like bigger, um, you know, blockbusters and stuff. But Parasite's really, I think the first time he made his splash with the American mainstream. That's another comparison to Wes Anderson, in my opinion, because Grand Budapest Hotel, like Parasite, was the first time the mainstream really was just like this guy. This is a guy right here. This is a man. This is a man, man who knows, knows what he's doing. <laughs> well, yeah, because Wes Anderson was known when I would I heard Wes Anderson mostly. I mean, as you heard from our show, our whole show about him, that you know, it was mostly in college. It was like indie college hipsters who were like, oh, like Bottle Rockets, a great movie, or um, and it really wasn't until later on, as his movies, you know, went on and his his film career went on that people started to talk about him more. So this is very, this is, it is a very, a very good comparison. But to me with so much, I don't want to say more astounding, but what is so astounding about this movie is this is a mainstream movie here in America now. And it is a completely Korean made film, which is something that I don't think I have ever seen before. You know, foreign films are usually not as revered by the mainstream as this one is. Right. I mean, I think that every now and again, you certain examples. I mean, like, I think like, I, I think back to like Crouching Tiger, Hitting Dragon. Uh, sorry. I think yeah, back to dragon. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, and I think about how that was, I remember being young when that came out and it was like a thing that a lot of people talked about, nominated for Oscars. And like, I just remember it made, it made its name in America but it's really not common but in even America. that was dubbed you know sure yeah no absolutely so even when an you know the american audience went to go see that they would hear it in english this mm-hmm. is in the mainstream and you got to read subtitles there's no like that, English dubbed version of this movie. Isn't and that, thank God for that. But is that oh my God, I can't imagine. But isn't isn't it wonderful that America has progressed so far that we've now made reading uh <laughs> readings part of the mainstream when watching movies? Yeah, right. <laughs> what a twist. Um, but yes, Parasite is enormous. Uh it got everyone talking and its best picture win in twenty 20- 19 well Well, it 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 won won in 2020 but it was nominated for 2019 we'll get to the oscars in a little bit though it helped it push the mainstream so yes yeah so bong joon ho came up with the idea for this movie in 2013 while working on the post-production of snowpiercer he said that he wanted to explore the same kinds of themes but not in a sci-fi way he wanted characters that he could meet in his daily life because i guess we're not meeting a uh, Wilfred or <laughs> or Tilda Swinton's character, uh, Mason, on an average day basis. Not quite. The other, I, I mentioned this, uh, I think, in Barking Dogs, but another, you know, inception point for this was Bong Joon-ho, when he was in college, was a tutor 
for a boy for a very rich household. He said that the house, uh, the child that he tutored, the house had a sauna in it. It was like a huge mansion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's even funnier is he got that job because his now wife, at the time they weren't, they were dating, but his now wife recommended him for the job. She was tutoring the same kid in Korean. So he had like an almost parasite type thing where they were infiltrating this guy, this rich family house, you know? So a lot of it comes from, you know, personal experience on a smaller scale, but I mean, of course, personal experience, you know, can go a long way. Yeah. He said that he was trying to get another one of his friends as a tutor uh, for an, as an art tutor, but he was fired after two months. So it didn't work. <laughs> God. Um, speaking of the tutor, um, one of the top notes on IMDb is that um, uh, Kiwoo's job as a tutor was chosen because Bong realized that uh, sadly, uh, it was the only way that he saw that families from two extreme ends of the class spectrum in modern day South Korea would cross uh, cross paths convincingly in his story arc. Well, what's interesting is throughout Bong Joon-ho's work, we've kind of seen that one, one message that he tri- that I've noticed is that he puts an emphasis on education. I know that his parents and all his siblings are all professors, but he sees that as a good way of social mobility. To him, I feel like education is the only way to really climb the social ladder. Absolutely. No, that's a great point because it's like he's, of course, he's teaching us morals and values and stuff about classism and he's kind of, but it really does feel, and this is why I, you know, I keep coming back to Wes and actually this is almost even more like, like Disney in the sense that it kind of feels like an educational experience as you go along. I mean, with Disney, like we literally learned history, but with this, it's kind of like you're, I mean, you're taking small snippets of the classism, but you're seeing like, like you're seeing with examples of people learning through literal education uh, literal education it's it's kind of just this building it's kind of like going through a, a chapter book and each chapter is kind of expanding more and more yeah and we didn't really touch on this in mother but i feel like part of the reason there wasn't the ability for that family to rise of social mobility was because the son uh i'm forgetting his name but he was mentally challenged which you know, mm-hmm. weighed down the family. Anyway, an influence, a big influence on this was the 1960s uh, South Korean film Handmaiden, which is one of Scorsese's favorite films of all time. He actually ran the restoration of that film a couple oh, of years really? ago. That's yeah. cool. Scorsese had a big influence on uh, Bong Joon-ho. Uh, but the movie, which is a great movie, I don't know if you've ever seen it, no, I actually have not seen that. But it's I'm, on the Criterion I'm, channel. Highly recommend it. The old Criterion. Old Criterion. Anyway, it, it, it got a Criterion release. Yeah, it got Blu-ray wise, but it's not on the Criterion channel. Gotcha. Yeah, I want that Blu-ray though. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. But I will wait for the next uh, Barnes sale. and Noble sale because <laughs> I refuse to pay forty dollars for one Blu-ray. Anyway, especially when no, I already course, have the Criterion not, channel. Pushing, yeah, so I already gave yeah, him $100 pushing, a year. Uh, Barnes and Noble alone. sales. Yeah. But we're we're not that, Barnes and Noble salesmen. You know, we just... In the movie, The sale. Handmaiden, uh, it shows, like, the main plot is that a middle-class family hires a maid, and through her, the household 
uh, begins to be destroyed. And also another influence from that movie is the emphasis on stairs, mobility through steps. You go up and you go down. So to the, so in mentioning the stairs, I know the, um, in mentioning the stairs, I was going to say one of the notes here is that the Parasite makes several nods to Hitchcock throughout, uh, and stairs are a big part of that. Uh, stairs are used as a motif. Voyeurism is used as characters watch scenes through windows, and there's even, you know, shots of, uh, that, you know, Alfred That Hitchcock. just blew my mind. I'm sorry, because I'm just piecing it together. This is the most Hitchcockian of all of Bong Joon-ho's movies. That just For blew sure. my mind wide open. Wow. Yeah, I'd say there was a, a several nods, several intentional nods to Hitchcock. So it's and pretty he, cool. Hitchcock did make a movie, uh, Thirty Nine Steps. I mean, this is all a cycle. It's all a cinematic cycle. You know, I mean, from Hitchcock to Bong Joon Ho, we've come a long way, but we're just doing what people, what the greats did back then, and they were just keeping it going. Yeah, the actors. So Bong Joon Ho prized the cast as the achievement of the film like that's his seminal achievement of this film the cast and their work uh obviously he worked with some of the cast before others were brand new but he hates auditioning people he hates it he says he feels extremely uncomfortable uh being in a room while someone is acting right in front of him and like having to sit there and judge them it's just like it's not his thing yeah yeah, yeah. so instead he watches like every person he's considering's films and previous work to make sure that like, this is the person I kind of want for my role. I mean, uh, yeah, I think, I I mean, I I think back to our Friday the 13th categories of going over ensembles. I think we also, I think we've done, I don't know if we've done ensembles for other shows, but I think of looking at an ensemble and like, if we were to have an awards for like best ensemble, like I feel like it wouldn't really, his, his cast in general, I would say the host probably comes close, but I would, I think that as an ensemble, like his cast here is like between the two families. I mean, it's, it's magnificent. Yep. This is some great casting. The actor who played, Oh, I don't have his name in front of me, but the man who was in the basement, Mm -hmm. he was a, he was the last person that cat was cast uh, and he was like brand new to acting. Bong said that was the hardest part to cast because he has to be insane in some moments and then completely sane in other ones. It was- It's tough. It's a tough cast. Yeah, yeah. So production design. A lot more CG was used on this film than most people think. It's actually astounding when you watch some of the set footage how much cg was used so i would never have known yeah so the kim household which is the poorer family's household was built on a semi-basement the semi-basement was built on a soundstage and there's a green or they used a blue screen but that's like behind the alleyway but they actually built the alleyway and the actual semi-basement because bong joon ho needed to flood the area so he needed to keep a contained set, which again, a very Hitchcockian. That just, um, that really blew my mind. But the- it, <laughs> That's really fascinating. Yeah, the mise-en-scene was so extensive in this specific set though, because the Kim semi-basement was literally built and they placed everything in there. But the actor said that it was so real that it even had the smell of a moldy basement. Yeah, I've thought of the smell. 
the smell. And again, it comes down to a thing where it's like Bong Joon-ho puts smell in his movies and not every director does that. So I appreciate that. Uh, and more than any other of his movies, they emphasize on the smell here. You know, it's... <laughs> yeah. The park household, the ground floor and the garden were the only things that were constructed. And again, that was in a sound set stage. That was all that was constructed. The top floor, like from the outside view, that's CG. Oh, interesting. So the obviously they built the sets in a sound stage, but if you go outside in the garden and look at the house, only the ground floor is built. Above it, CG. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. Because the top note is that the park's house was said to be designed by fictional architect Nam Goong. Which um, is hilarious because that's the character is the name from, of, from Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Nam Goong uh, Hyonja. I mean, as we, we'll give the disclaimer when we read. But, yes. um, and, <laughs> but And they said the set was completely built from scratch. So it's interesting because I, I remember hearing that where, when this movie first came out. I remember reading, I'll read trivia or look up videos of stuff when I'm really intrigued by a movie. And I remember hearing that as one of the first notes that they had built the house like as a set at least a base set funny is the production designer i don't have his name in front of me but he said that he had to put himself in the mind of how namgoon would construct this house yeah but even more fascinating is then the camera had to be taken into account because they built the set more for camera mobility than function because mm -hmm. the camera is constantly moving in the household it's very smart if i'm not mistaken they did the same ari aster did the same thing for hereditary yes they built the house de designed for camera movements which is very unique because you wouldn't think it's almost kind of to me at least it's a new approach to filming interior sets because interior design because you're not it's not just it's not a sound stage it's not like i mean it it's it's, it's on a sound of, stage but i know what you're saying it's an elaborate sound stage it's kind of like hey here's a house but we're gonna like have these like areas in the walls and then the stairs and then the floor and to again be able to do the camera work we need you like i'm telling you, you really blew my mind with the hitchcock comparison because that's what he did all the time with notorious yeah. you think about that key sequence that was or even rear window which is probably the prime example of um, building a set to fit the camera because mm -hmm. the camera never leaves uh, James Stewart's apartment, uh, not Scotty, because Scotty was uh, Vertigo, I'm forgetting his name, Jeffrey's. Mm -hmm. It never leaves Jeffrey's apartment. Right. But back to Parasite, what made it even more interesting was that the camera was they were shooting at 235, which is the same way that they shot Mother. So they wanted to build the architecture to be wide, not tall, because that's the way in which they were filming. They needed mobility, but they needed everything to look wide. Mm -hmm. So it's fascinating. I mean, it works. It really does. It uh, works in ways I can't explain, but I guess Hitchcock is the best comparison, like we, like we were saying. So this film won the palm d'or at the Cannes film festival and then went on to win bet several oscars one two three four oscars best picture best director best original screenplay and best international film um yeah that's it's a landmark because it's kind of like no other so it's the first korean film to uh win the palm 
um, the Palme d'Or at, uh, at, at Cannes, but yep. it's also the first foreign film to, to win, win Best, best Picture. So this is really like, despite, you know, anything anyone says about this movie, it's really, it's a historical, you know, feat, you know, for for foreign films bleeding into the mainstream of, of America, which is like, just the whole point yeah. of what I was making. And it was up against a stacked, pretty stacked uh, uh, gear for the Oscars. Uh, you know, we don't have to go into every award, right. but let's just list Best Picture. Of course. Obviously Parasite won, but it was up against Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. That's a pretty stacked. Yeah, those movie. are all huge movies. Yeah. yeah. We can debate some of them, but overall, pretty good year. And that's the only other note that I have is that an HBO series is in the work for this movie. They're uh, going to, uh, Bong, with Adam McKay and Bong Joon Ho as executive producers. Bong Joon-ho said that he sees it as a six-hour expanded version of the film because it's going to take place within the same time period but fill in the gaps that the film couldn't capture because the film was only two and a half hours compared to six hours, you know? I think that, I mean, I I get very turned off by the idea of adapting any movie that I like into a show but i mean they've proved that it works if they do the model right they did it with fargo i know they turned snowpiercer into a show i never saw it but i like the i i like the idea of it but yeah you you can make it happen i don't i'm immediately turned off by it but i mean if bong is involved at least producing that's what and i was about to say bong joon ho's involvement makes me a little bit more interested sure because and it's hbo he, you know yeah but bong because bong joon ho if anyone knows this world it is bong joon ho of course so that's all I really got. I don't know if you have any other notes. Uh, interesting here. It says that um, at the Munich Film Festival, Bong said that he does not like screenwriting and it makes him nervous and, insuffer- and insufferable to his family. So the idea for Parasite has existed since 2015 and the final script was written in three and a half months. Um, and I find it interesting because, I mean, I, I know that, you know, he's had the idea for years, but it makes me wonder what going ahead because as screenplay like as a story like it just worked and the construction of it works so well so yeah. i find it interesting that that's his opinion on it well he takes on a tarantino approach to screenwriting yeah where he lays out the background of every character in his film thoroughly so he knows what their lives have been up to this point and he also does. I don't know if Tarantino does this, but Bong Joon Ho also doesn't like working at home, uh, which may not bode well for a new movie anytime soon because he's been quarantined at home. But <laughs> he likes to work in coffee shops because it helps him focus. So he spends months building characters and then he can build the actual script. No, it seems to work. I mean, he's he, it's a good comparison, Tarantino, because they both understand their characters really well. And I guess, yeah. you know, the characters are at the core. Well, as we've said numerous times, Tarantino was a big influence on Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, it's actually astounding, the best director category. Like, he obviously won, but he was up against Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino, two men that he has admired for years. I think he said that in his speech. I think he said something like, I don't know. He was he, he made a couple of speeches because he won. I know he won, won multiple awards. I don't know where he said. I don't know if it was the Oscars or whatever. But. I think it was the best director at the Oscars. But oh, so good. So I humble. Don't know. Watching him accept the award was also great because he 
he was just so exuberant and that made me just like happy for him you know because he was I, I, I don't I truly don't think he was expecting to win best director nor best picture so to watch him and the cast go up there everyone was just so thrilled I, I think I'll get into more of this when we go over our the recap of the whole show next week but it's like I really just to touch on what you're saying is like it's I, I think that you know I was, I was just saying he's he, he seems very humble but it's kind of this idea that he's just kind of doing the art because he wants to do it and like for him it's not about awards so he gets up there and he's making these very casual speeches about like oh yeah you know just whatever like I, I love what I do and, and then there's the famous well the now well-known quote about like if you just get over the the, the one inch bar the two inch barrier on your tv screen you'll be whatever open to so many movies yeah. but he's just very like down to earth like there's really nothing more to him than kind of like hey this is my craft do like he doesn't have a an ego you know what i mean he's not yeah he doesn't have anything to boast about him being this figure. it's all about like you said it it's shows. all about the art for him anyway so you ready to get into the plot as always i apologize in advance right. for my boxing <laughs> of the korean language i'm trying my best i promise but i am just an american man who does not know how to pronounce names yeah so. we, we will do our best folks <laughs> So as terrible as it is, I'm doing it out of respect as we will get to that line later. We look out the window to the Kim family home. Immediately, we notice that the house is underground, a clear metaphor for the family status. The home is noticeably small and houses four family members, father, Kim Ki Take, Song Kang Ho, our guy here, mother, Chung Suk, Jane Hai Jin, son Kim Ki Woo, Choi Woo Sak, and daughter uh, Ki Jung, Park So Dumb. Worst of all for us millennials, the Wi-Fi has cut out. The scene changes to the entire family folding pizza boxes. Outside, the neighborhood is being fumigated. Ki Woo offers to shut the window, but Kim rebuffs him. This is a free way to get an exterminator for the stink bugs, because the, there are a couple stink bugs in the house. They're setting up the uh, the smell early on. The smell, <laughs> no, but it again. <laughs> like I I know I mentioned this before, but this is very much like Grand Budapest Hotel, where truncating this plot synopsis into a small, short three page thing is extremely difficult, especially with the details that were in this movie, because there's so much detail. Like literally every shot oh, has something because that would, could have been mentioned, but I just, you know, we don't have was, time. Yeah. It. It's one of those things where we talk about like what you could, like when we've had conversations about what you could and couldn't nix from a movie, like in the editing room. And this is one of those things that like, gets kind of hard to trim, even what feels like, I remember saying that, I think for memories of murder, where it's like, you feel like some of it may be insignificant, but then it really does all come back into play. And that's exactly how Grand Budapest feels. Yeah. But even here, like the stink bug, it's mm -hmm. it should be mentioned because it, you know, later on it comes back with the way Park thinks of Kim. Uh, anyway, Kiwu offer uh, this is a free way to get an exterminator for the stink bugs. The entire family coughs as the smoke consumes the tight home, except for Kim, who focuses on the, his folding. In quick succession, the pizza woman tells the family that she will only pay for a fourth of the boxes, as most are unevenly folded. 
mother, daughter, and son encircle the woman and accept a 10% cut in pay with a job interview lined up for the next day. That sequence was just, the blocking was very interesting because mm-hmm. one by one, just like a parasite, like a uh, cell parasite, they are encircling someone to get what they want. So it's clearly just like a setup of who these characters are. That night, right. Kim, yeah, yeah, yeah. That night, the Kim celebrate the newfound Wi-Fi by drinking beers, very reminiscent yeah. of the host. Outside the window is a drunk man urinating on the building. Kim tells the family not to interfere. Min Hyuk Park Seo uh, Joon pulls up to the house on his moped and tells the urinator to piss off. No pun intended. No, well, pun intended <laughs> a little bit. Min, Kiwoo's old friend, has come unannounced, or Kiwoo did not receive the text, which is what actually happened. Before the friends head out, Min gifts the family with a scholar rock, which Kiwu deems metaphorical. Now, uh, I just want to do say something about the stone. Uh, in an interview, Bong Joon-ho was asked about the stone, and yep. Bong joked, saying that it is just a stone. What Bong liked about the stone was the fact that a character said that something is metaphorical. Right. And he was essentially taking away that role from the critics. Yep. He said, in reality, it's very physical, not metaphorical. It bashes Ki Woo's head in later on in the film. So Ki Woo is the one who puts stock and weight into the stone, but the not the director, which is fascinating. Yeah, the, not, the way it's written in IMDb, it says, when questioned about the significance of the stone, Choi Woo-seek replied that Bong didn't tell him that it meant something. He just told him to take care of it. And so it's it's interesting that that, obviously the stone comes into play, like you said, like later in the plot, but it's just very interesting that there's so little about it, and yet it's not directly supposed to mean anything. Like like you said, the character making note of it being a metaphor. Well, that's is, what's so interesting, because... Yeah. The first time I watched it, I took something, I thought it was metaphorical, but then listening to Bong Joon-ho, it was just fascinating to him saying, no, it's literally just a stone. What's so funny about it is you are trying to make it out to be something more than it is. And that's that's why it works. It works, It's because it, it's planting a seed, like, like, like the whole movie does. It's just planting seeds all throughout. Yeah. Min cuts to the chase very quickly. He will be studying abroad. In the interim, he would like Ki-woo to tutor Park Dae-hee. Jung Jisoo in English. Min figures Ki Woo will keep the frat boys away. Little did he know that he <laughs> that Ki Woo would be uh, making out with her. Ki Woo <laughs> asks if the family will hire him as he does not have a college degree. Min tells him the mother is, how does he say this? Simple. <laughs> and to forge a certificate. Cut to Ki Jung smoking in a computer lab, working Photoshop to make a fake degree which is very reminiscent of Mother, because in Mother, there is an emphasis on Photoshop and printing. Anyway. There's a whole, um, you know, a comparison to like the fraudulent, and it really, I mean, it's the whole, it's the whole crux of how these characters operate, but it's the, uh, it's the fraudulent sense of like, faking your way into a society that you think you otherwise wouldn't be able to get into, you know? Yeah, and what's uh, astounding, I didn't mention it, but Min tells Kiwoo that, like, you were in the military. You speak English better than anyone who goes to college. Like, you really shouldn't 
concern yourself with even having a degree. Right. It's and very, that's yeah. kind of the point of this movie in general. Like, just because someone is deemed lower class doesn't mean they're any stupider right. than the people on top. He well, literally the, describes yeah. the mother as, quote unquote, simple. Right. I mean, that, that's the whole that's the whole perspective. And obviously, you know, we're always teasing in a final discussion early, but it's like, kind of like the whole notion of like, what these people in the higher class look like on paper and what the lower class look like on paper. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you're talking about people who are uh, whatever supposed to be elegant and, and, and whatever, have all these grand achievements. And like you're saying, you're literally calling them simple. I mean, it's kind of the whole perspective of where, where do we all live? And it's that gray area. And that's, you know, I'll get to that later, but. Where is fancy bread in the heart <laughs> or in the head? He <laughs> walks up a hill to the park mansion. Once he enters through the gate, it is literally another world. Whole sequence where he's walking up the steps and the sun is shining mm -hmm. with the house, the reveal of the house. That's like the first time you see it literally. It's almost like Alice in Wonderland. Like it, it, it completely, the way, even though the elevation of the camera work and all gets all, we'll get to all that later, but yep. um, you really feel it with that, just that opening scene when he goes up the steps. Well, it also comes down to lighting. The way in which Bong Joon-ho lit the Kim household varies to the way he lit the park household the kim household has a Absolutely. very has a green tinted lights where the parks has a yellow tinted light anyway. it's very poignant all the lighting stuff. we'll get to all that later but choi yi jung uh played by cho tio jung uh the madam of the house for the record i continuously wrote her as madam because yeah. it's easier than just pronouncing her name. So no, that's I thought fine. I'd save us. No, that's fine. So this problem. is the mother. I'm jumping ahead in characters. No, no, no. Uh, the madam in the house uh, conducts Ki Woo's interview with a fluffy dog on her lap. Uh, you know, not unironically there, barking dogs. She throws Ki Woo into the deep end and it, it, and it is on the first lesson. As Dahi fills out a fake exam, Ki Woo gently grabs her wrist saying she needs vigor. Ma uh, Madam is clearly impressed, hiring Ki Woo and renaming him Kevin. <laughs> As they talk, a toy arrow whizzes past them. Park Da Sung, played by Jung Hyun Jun, uh, the Park family's young youngest son, is an energetic and eccentric child. Quote unquote eccentric. Um, Madam that is particularly <laughs> Madam is particularly taken with her son's art. Kevin, while uh, leaving, recommends his friend Jessica Ki Jung as an art tutor. Jessica goes to the house with Kevin the next day. While Kevin wants to focus on English lessons, Da, he makes romantic advances, to say the least. <laughs> After the lesson, Jessica talks with Madam, saying she's an art therapist as well as a tutor. She blows Madam's mind by first pointing out similarities between Da Song's work, then blows the lid off by asking if something happened to Da in first grade. Which was hilarious. Did something happen to him in first grade? <gasps> I love it. It's, it reminds me of... Uh, uh, you know, like when you see like phony uh, psychics taking advantage of these poor people who, yeah. you know, you can easily read their lives. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mention it later. Uh, I didn't mention it, but there's a scene later where uh, Ki Woo is like, says to his sister, like, what did you say to Madam that because she was just completely taken aback? <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's so good. I mean, it's just so good the way they build it because it's all, this is only the beginning. Madam gasps and begins to cry. The camera literally moves from one of Jessica's shoulders to the next. The power dynamic shifts. Park Dung Eek 
played by Lee Sung Kyun, comes home and orders his driver to take Jessica home. In the car, Ki Jung plants a trap, hiding her panties under the back seat. Park finds the panties, which subsequently leads him to believe, uh, which leads to Kim being hired as the new driver. The infiltration is complete. All that remains is the maid, Gook Ma, uh, Moon Gwang. That's the one, uh, played by Lee Jung Young. To take her to take her down, the family creates an intricate plan involving peas and ketchup to make Madame believe that she has tuberculosis. The darkly hilarious sequence leads to uh, Chung Suk taking over as the maid. Yeah, I kind of brushed over a good like half hour of the movie through this, but that montage of the setup. Oh, it's so with good. With the peach and making them believe she has tuberculosis is like a masterstroke in filmmaking. It's so good. So good. The parks are preparing for a camping trip to celebrate Da Song's birthday. While they are away. The Kims take over the house. Ki Jung uh, takes a bubble bath. Ki Woo lays in the backyard reading, and the parents just nap on the couch. At night, they celebrate by drinking fancy whiskey and simply watching the rain. Kim, particularly, is relishing the house, though Chung Suk says that if Park were to come back, Kim would scatter like a cockroach, foreshadowing his future. The entire tone of the film shifts as the doorbell rings. It is Moon Guang claiming to have left something in the basement. From the moment she enters the house, something seems off. Moon Guang laughs uncontrollably and has a black eye, much like in Mother. You know, Bang Jun ho has something about eyes. Mm-hmm. Moon Guang enters the black doorway to the basement. Chung Suk, after some time, follows. A secret door is revealed behind a cabinet. Moon Guac rips open the door, rushes down, down the stairs, shouting, Honey, her husband, Oh Gyon Se, Park Myung Ho, I apologize for all of that, <laughs> is revealed <laughs> to have been living in the basement for four years, seven months, and 13 days. Chung Suk, horrified, threatens to call the police, which is clearly just, it, she's not going to actually do it. Moon Guang begs and even offers to pay her what little she has. Kim trips on the stairs, leading to the rest of the family to fall. Moon Guac captures this on her phone. The tables have turned. Now upstairs, the Kim family sits with their hands up like hostages. While Moon Guac pretends to be a North Korean news anchor, Chung Sook makes her move, slamming into the couch, hurtling the phone into the air. I ro- What's it called? I just wanted to make a note. That's as close as we come to a dropkick in this movie. First Bong Joon-ho movie without a drop. <laughs> it's pretty true. The Kims subdue Oh and Moon Guac, but just at that moment, Madam calls. The Parks are on their way home. In full panic mode, the Kims try to clean up their mess. Kim ties up Oh. Ki Woo drags Moon Guang down to the basement. Ki Jung th- throws everything under the couch and uh, cooks rum done. Which the Parks I gotta say, the, the Parks simple may be the perfect word for them you don't notice broken glass under your goddamn couch like you don't notice people under your couch come on uh, guys come on I, there's a i don't know there's a lot of, to be said about these families but it's also i don't know you would think that they would know but i don't, I don't know i'm just man. saying ki jung literally like hurdles everything under the couch and they don't seem to notice um no, it's definitely uh, something to make a note of, but... The Parks enter the house. 
as they do owe lights their way as he has quote unquote respect for Park. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh also knows that Da Song as a scout will soon know Morse code. Before she gets upstairs, Chang Suk pushes Moon Guang back down. The entire family adjourns to their rooms except for Madam, who enjoys the Ramdan. As she eats, Madam opens to Chung Suk explaining the incident happened to Da Song in first grade. On his birthday, Da Song came into the kitchen to eat his birthday cake when he saw a ghost. Oh, this has this causes him to have a seizure. Um, yeah, a lot to unpack there. First, I just want to point out how I don't want to say I, in a dark way. It, it's it's almost comical how of course Chung Suk pushes. Uh, moon down the stairs like literally like <laughs> oh it's so d- funny it, it's so subtle and so like just funny she just like doop and it's, she crashes down the stairs oh it's so funny I remember watching it. I, I laughed out of shock but I was also like I'm watching it again it's like well, that's why I said it's a dark humorous kind of moment because it's kind of like you're you just didn't expect that to happen so nonchalantly no, it's it's so quick. I love it, and I also love the sequence just with the, with Da Song and, the, and like and this is why we were talking about when we we're talking about the way they shoot with the cameras built, with areas built into the house for the camera for for the camera work. That sequence of him, and then you just see the stairs from the low point of view, and you just see the eyes above the <laughs> the stairwell. Terrifying. Was, it's terrifying, and it's so like it's so funny because you're it almost like I we'll talk about it at the end, but. They, they almost build it like a horror movie where it's kind of like there's this moment where like you really don't know what's going to happen you just see the eyeballs <laughs> well it's terrifying and funny at the same time because to madam who's telling the story it is a truly terrifying thing for her because right. her son was so scared that he had a seizure <laughs> and right. she can't explain it the only explanation she could come up with is a ghost was in the house right but you and I and the audience know better that it was just, oh, this man who lives in their basement who is coming up for food, which is right. equally as terrifying. <laughs> That's what makes it so funny. And in a way, and I'll, I'll get to it later, but in a way, those moments are like, it, these movies are real, they bleed into Wes Anderson territory in the fact that they're almost like comedies. They're obviously a little darker and more dramatic, but they, these are the kind of moments where it's like it plays out in that way where there's the two different expectations on what's happening in that moment. Yeah. But I, I thought that was funny how the, how the way they shot it and how terrifying it is. Um, in the basement, asks how anyone can live in a basement like this. O says many people live in semi basements. Kim heads up the stairs and ties up Moon Guang, who is bleeding from her head. The Kims recon, uh, reconvene and are ultimately trapped under the couch. As Da Sang builds his teepee in the backyard to sleep in, uh, Madame and Park watch from the couch. Park then says he smells Kim. It is an old radish smell that permeates the car. The Kims begin to have sex, and after they fall asleep, the Kims sneak out of the house into the pouring rain. They begin their descent home. They find their semi-basement completely submerged. They run in to salvage what they can. Like a siren, the rock called Ki Wu, while Ki Jung sits on the exploding toilet and smokes. Inner cut is Moon yeah, Guang. That's pretty gross. The toilet, yeah. just like the brown, oh man, the literal there's, shit coming out of the toilet. So, and she's so just much. like sitting on there smoking because she's just like, what can I possibly she's, do? She's there's nothing else she can do. It's really, it's a really poignant scene. It's probably one of the more poignant scenes. We'll get to that later. But uh, inner cut is Moon Guang falling down the stairs in front of O. O bashes his head on the lights writing in Morse codes, help me. The Kims spend the night 
in a stadium surrounded by hundreds of refugees from the flood. Kiwu asks his father what the next plan is. Kim goes off on a rant similar to Vince Vaughn's dodgeball. He says that no plan is the best plan because then you won't be disappointed. Yeah, I couldn't um, help but think of dodgeball in that sequence. Just because it's literally the exact same message. Like, if you have no plan, you can't be disappointed. Uh, that's so funny. I think um, I think there's a similar line in uh, in the beginning of Wedding Crashers where it's like, I have no expectations and... Um, you know, I have no expectations because if I, you know, then if something, I guess you know, my mind I, just went to dodgeball because I've seen that movie more than. It's just crashes. funny that 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 line is is used in that context comedically. Like, oh, if I don't have any expectations, I won't be disappointed. Yeah, but in it, this movie, it's completely serious. And it's really, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's and it works as we yeah. see the unpredictable events unfold. The next day starts with Madame calling Jessica Kijong to invite her to an impromptu birthday for Da Song. Kevin, Ki-woo, is also invited. The disparity between the rich and poor is laid out more clearly now that the Kims have truly lost it all. Literally within a matter of 20 minutes, they had, like, film live. They have gone Mm. from living the high life, like, drinking high-class whiskey, relishing living in a house, to descending into a semi-basement that is flooded and being refugees in a uh, stadium. Chung Sook must build the tables for the party silently to not wake Da Song in the teepee. And Kim must take Madam all around town to pick up everything for the party. All the while, she is on the phone. She also literally holds her nose up at him due to the smell, which is even more poignant because I don't know if you noticed, but her feet are literally up in the car. Like Kim has to sit next to her feet and she's back there holding her nose and opening the window because he has an, a smell. Yeah, it's really, it's really something. It lays out just very clearly the disparity between the two mm-hmm. uh, families. And it's also building to Kim's inevitable just flip into mm-hmm. killing uh, mm-hmm. Park. Spoiler alert. For, but... <laughs> The party is in full swing. Everyone is having a great time except for the guilt-ridden Kims. Ki-woo is upstairs making out with Dai, but his mind is on what occurred the night before. Kim and Park are wearing Indian war bonnets behind, behind a bush. They are going to put on a show when Jessica brings out the cake. Ki-jung grabs a plate from Chang-soo uh, to go down, but is pulled away by Madam. Ki-woo, holding the rock, goes to the basement. Immediately, O grabs Ki-woo with a wire and pulls at him. O finishes Ki-woo by throwing the rock onto his head, which, brutal. Brutal stuff. All of it. Uh, O grabs a knife from the kitchen and goes to the party. He stabs Ki-jung in the chest. The sight of O causes Da-sung to have another seizure. People try to stop O but he slashes at them. Park calls for Kim to throw the car keys. Chung uh, Sook stabs O with a shish kebab and he falls to the floor. O calls out Park's name. Park asks, you know me? O shouts, respect, and then drops dead on top of the car keys. Park attempts to get them, but holds his nose while doing so. Watching this, Kim boils over, grabs the knife and stabs Park. In a haze, Kim walks away covered in blood. 
a lot just to real quick. There. <laughs> uh, just real quick, and that's a harp on this, but it's like I can't remember the last movie I have seen, at least one that I was really invested in, that where the events change so fast, rapidly, everything unfolds so quickly in that it's, in it's a matter so- of like I want to say five minutes. I mean, it's such, and it's it's amazing. What's what's amazing about it is I feel like, and I've made a lot of comparisons to Bong, uh, uh, in comparison to like American filmmakers in the sense of like how foreign films are, and they're a lot more blunt and to the point. And this is one of those moments where, like, in an American film, even if you were to do the same plot, it's kind of like you. I feel like it would be easy to try and like exp- expand this moment. This is a grandiose. This is the climax. So like to like really milk the runtime and have a lot happening and whatever cue music but the fact that this all happens as fast as it does it's very realistic because it's kind of like freak accidents happen or people get murdered or whatever and it's like they're not like they're they're not moments like it's not like moments it's just like it's kind of a rush in life it's kind of like when people say oh these things are so when things happen that are surreal they're like oh i i couldn't i couldn't take in what was happening like when people witness an accident or they see something terrible it's kind of like the way they describe it is like it's surreal and that's kind of like watching this movie it's like it's almost surreal you're like wait a minute this character is dead now this character shouting and that character is dead and it's like that's kind of like how it is in real life and it's also the chaos is also very human yeah because you have you have the kims who are dealing with their daughter who was just stabbed and you have the parks dealing with their son who is literally having a seizure Park is shouting for Kim to throw him the car key. Well, first to drive them away because he just thinks he's the driver. Of course. Kim is sitting over his daughter who was just stabbed trying to Mm -hmm. help her because, and ultimately Park is just saying, throw me the keys if you're not going to do your fucking job. My son is literally having a seizure. It's just, everyone is dealing with very human stuff, but the lie is still there. And like you said, chaos doesn't really yeah. wait for any real specific moment. So the fact that this all happened so quickly, it just like yeah. blows your mind. One thing after another happens. And I love, even in the background, like if you blink, you'll miss it. But uh, you see Dahi literally carrying Kiwu on her back out mm-hmm. of the party. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got their own personal agenda. Everyone's got their own personal trauma that they're dealing with in that moment. And they're dealing with it all at the same time. So we, as the audience, aren't focusing on one moment and another and another. It's all happening at once. And it's, like I said, I can't remember the last time I've seen a movie orchestrate chaos like that so well um, and so quickly. So (laughs) one month later, Kiwu wakes up from a coma. Standing over him is a cop reading him the Miranda rights. Kiwu laughs uncontrollably. Another interesting uh, way to express people's not under, uh, you know, not being able to get a grasp on their emotions. Chung Suk and uh, Ki Woo are brought to court for forgery, trespassing, foul play, and self-defense. They get off on probation. The first thing they do is visit Ki Jung's gra- gravesite. She bleeds out. The news covers Kim's disappearance, but Ki Woo knows where he is. In the dead of winter, Ki Woo climbs up a hill to look out on the old park house. There he sees the lights flicker. Kim, like a cockroach, scattered, is living in the basement. Kiwu immediately comes up with a plan. First, he drops the rock into a river. He then starts his journey to become rich, ultimately buying the house. All Kim will have to do one day is simply walk out of the basement into the sunlight. The film ends as it begins, looking out the window of the, of the semi-basement window, panning down to Kiwu. 
the end. I here's my question to you: Did the end actually happen? Did Kiwu become rich enough to buy the house? Uh, I love about this ending, uh, which could segue into the final discussion uh, before we get into the awards, is that I lo- it reminds me of Inception in that way where I think it's totally up for debate because obviously the, the, the way they pan it out to the audience visually is they play it out like a dream. They play it out like it's a fantasy. Uh, you see it almost like a montage. And he's like, and, and, and when a person is that determined, when a character is so determined to do something, it seems easy. So we as the audience are watching the events unfold in an easy way, but also I think in that moment, what we're seeing is just a perspective. I think we're just seeing his idea. So in a sense, I guess I lean more towards no, it didn't happen, but also I think it's too ambiguous to to tell for sure. I agree that it is intentionally ambiguous, but what says to me that it didn't happen is the fact that we, the last shot of the film starts, uh, the last shot of the film is where we started. It's looking out the window and panning down to Kiwu sitting on the floor in the exact same spot. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like he didn't really end up going anywhere. I and think I, I, that's yeah. kind of the point. I don't know if it's we're supposed to jump that far ahead. I think the whole idea is that's just where he's where he's at in his mind. In his mind, he's like, I'm going to free my father. But like, I think knowing especially how bleak and to the point Bong's films end up being, I don't think giving him the happy ending, at least not like an intentional one, would, be, would fit with his mold. Yeah. So I feel like that state of ambiguity and him sitting there and just staring at the window is like, that's where we're supposed to be left with him. Whether he does it or not, like he, these are the consequences. And this is based on what's how society deems the family. This is the state that they're left in. And I think that, yeah. Ah, I love it. I just, I love that there is no clear answer. I just, yeah. Oh man, it's really something. So you ready to get into the categories here? Let's do this thing. You, As opened- always, we have best or worst character, best genre bend, worst moment for the lower class, best twist, and best metaphor. So I can start with best or worst character. I'm going to say the worst character is O, the man in the basement. I just don't know enough about him. I feel like that's why to me he's the worst and clearly he's the one who is like the agent of chaos. Mm-hmm. I also feel like they built him up in the movie to be essentially the villain because he is but he's literally been haunting the house forever. You know, he yeah. caused uh Da Song to have a seizure, you know, obviously inadvertently, but you know, a creepy man in your basement is just like never a good place to be. You don't want, you don't want to be that guy. No. And his character is also interesting because I don't know if you picked up on this, but when uh, Moon Guang comes to the house uh, after she's been fired, she's literally feeding uh, Oh a bottle of milk. And then the first time you see him walking, he's actually crawling. So in my mind, he's just like a child. He's yeah. literally an infant who can't, yeah. who, who like has lost yeah. all conception to the outside world. So 
to me, he's probably like the worst character. I'm not saying, and everyone else is just very flushed out and is human where he just seems like a different entity entirely. Well, it's weird because exactly what you're saying is what gives him no motive because I'm not saying him, you're, I'm not saying your viewpoint of him as a, as a bad character is unjustifiable, but that's how we see it because we're civilized people who understand that his actions are wrong. His behavior is wrong. Yeah. I just want to say though, sorry to interrupt. I just want to say, when I say worst character, I don't mean that he's not fleshed out. No, of course. What's been so interesting about this, uh, this award specifically is that Bong Joon-ho's characters are all very fleshed out. They're all very human. Absolutely. So I tend to blend the two. Like if you go back and listen to all the podcasts, I go with like the best worst character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I kind of just have blended best and worst together. And to me, that's where he falls in. Oh yeah. Cause like he, you want to hate him, but also like, like you said, it's like, he's like a child. It's like you, you almost understand. I mean, he's been trapped in this lifestyle. Like, granted, like they put themselves in this position, but it's like after time, like it's like he's got he's he's gone insane. The character's lost his mind, and so that's kind of why he ends up the way he he, he is. But um, so it's interesting you picked him because my runner-up was going to be uh, the father, Key Key Take, or um, the uh, yeah Key Take. Our, but our, I, our, I just call him Park. Oh, our, our, you're talking about Kim. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, our, our boy, because he's, I think out of, he was the runner-up, because I was going to say, out of all the movies he's been in, this feels the most, like, heartwarming and understanding, but also the most funny and also kind of the most tragic character uh, that he's played yeah. out of Bong's films thus far. I feel so like he was of a, all uh, of the Bong movies he's been in, this is the most subtle of all the characters he's played. And that's what I love about it. It's not, yeah. in the other characters, he's kind of like, he's almost the... Um, what do you call it? Uh, he's like the comedic relief almost. Like comes in and he enters a room and like you like seeing him. You know, he's a very he's a very positive character. But in this, he's very like even though you get that vibe, he's very centered. He's very grounded and it's very he's like reserved. you said subtle. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I thought he was a, a, a solid runner up. But it's funny you picked um, <laughs> you picked the man in the basement because my my actor was as Moon Guang as the oh, maid. I think okay. that everything. I think that for similar reasons that you pick, uh, obviously, Oh is a very, he goes down a much darker route because he's been tormented, but like Moon Guang is just, she's so disheveled. And I just, everything from her being this very prissy kind of like perfect kind of housekeeper. And like, you know, you you kind of, especially on rewatch, you get the sense that she's kind of like has her own agenda. Um, Well, they even lay that out in the beginning before they infiltrate or before they try and get her fired, there's a specific line. I don't remember the exact quote, but it's like, she is smarter than she lets on because Correct. she thinks she runs the house. Right. She's and so been there's... in the house for longer than the parks. Yeah. It's very, it's a very, you you know that character from the get-go, even from the way she tends to the children and the way she p- pampers the house. She's like, there's something else up with her. So by the time, like you said, when the whole shift of the movie changes and they show her in the rain and she's at the doorbell, I'm like, yo, get her out of here. She's going to ruin this whole thing. Because internally as a moviegoer, you're like, she's going to screw up this whole plan. And, you know, she does, but she also, uh, she's also the, the manifestation of, the turning point of the movie when she yeah. reappears in the rain the whole movie changes well, and so i love that i, I don't mean to out of desperation off, but like i'm no, quite sure that this is like th- th- to me 
the next award, best genre bend, there's really only one yeah. answer, and that's the answer you just gave. Just and, keep, yeah, take it. You can take it from there because I have nothing else to say about the woman. But <laughs> yeah, when Moon Guang shows back up on that uh, video call at the gate, the it's entire horrible. movie moves from this. I, it moves from a dark comedy into just like a suspenseful thriller. Oh man, it's, and it, from it there, it's so just uneasy. keeps bending into possibly horror. You know? Yeah. Um. I will say that just not, not to get off, but I will say that that the whole when when we you know you were pitching this award to me the best genre bend it's, I thought of this whole movie because one of the first things I said to anyone I think I said it to you when I first saw Parasite was I what I love is that the movie is not tied to any genre yeah. um, you know it starts out as a drama it gets very comedic then it gets very dark and almost horror like and then it's just filled with thrilling chaos and so it's and then so this genre is like most fitting to this entire movie I don't feel like there you can even commit to one genre but that moment with the turning point with her when she when moon guang shows up at the door you you can feel it you're like oh this is gonna this, this is about to go down it's about to be bad i think that's the obvious answer although the one i went with i said is really i think more than um i, I went with comedy as the genre and what i the reason i shifted there is because i think more than anything he's done with the exception of maybe barking dogs because barking dogs is a very dark comedy but I think that I use comedy because it's like once the once the Kim family is in and once there's that montage, that incredible montage with the peach, um, you really feel like it's this they're sneaky and it's in a fun way and it's a completely comedic way. And I just love the building of anticipation in a very comedic way that like we have not really seen that kind of personality in his other movies. Like I said, Barking Dogs is funny. But it's also it's still finding its own footing and like it's a dark comedy, but there's commentary on this. And this is kind of the comedy for me is what makes the thrilling moments later on so much more horrific because it's such a drastic change in tone. They're almost two completely different movies yep. together. But yet they like blend together so perfectly. Oh, it's so good. So worst moment for the lower class. Again, I feel like this is an obvious one, but it's the semi-basement flooding. Mm-hmm. And everyone literally it creating a refugee situation. I and that point is laid on even thicker because you're going from above ground in the uh, park mansion where the rain is considered such a non-threatening, beautiful thing, to the point where Dong Sun, the child, can literally camp in a backyard yeah while it's raining while other people are literally having to evacuate their homes because the flood is just so bad they're literally condemned to living below everyone yeah so that's I think, my worst i i think that's the only the only other moment i was going to say would be the basement um Mm. Uh, once you see the, how this other family is living, just the whole concept of like, you see, you spend so much time with the Kim family and the Park family. So you see this, oh, here's higher class, here's lower class. But like, again, like the genre bend, I think the moment for the worst moment for the lower class is like around this movie to a degree, because it's like, yeah, you, for at least half the movie, it's, you're seeing the two different classes. And then also there's this reveal that there's this desperate, couple living in a basement and they're like you said like she's feeding him a bottle and it's kind of like he's crawling around and he's doing morse code and they're you know he's 
know, got whatever a gash on his head from his. It's just everything about it is like wow. Like you thought it was bad, it actually gets so much worse. Now, in terms of like being a script, like I get that works for the story. What makes the 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 semi basement flooding more tragic and more of a worse moment for the lower classes? It's that someone living in a basement is. I mean, it's far fetched, but it's not totally impossible. Is that the the part is that the Kim's family having their fl- home flooded is a very realistic thing. And like you said, for them to become re- refugees and, and have to sleep in a, a gym is this, it's almost like, it's almost the moment of Bong's entire career where he's like, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about in terms of people losing everything that they have. And like you said, it's very realistic. Even here in the US, we've seen things like that recently. You know, obviously Katrina is like the prime example, but as the years go by, flooding has become more and more of a problem. Yeah. Uh, anyway, best twist. I don't know if I go first or if you go first, but uh, uh, you can take you can take it off. So best twist. There were several examples. Obviously, when Moon Guang shows back up, that's a big twist. When O is revealed, but I'm gonna go with the last twist, and just go with Kim killing Park. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that coming the first time I watched the movie. And even the second time watching the movie, I was kind of like, okay, did they warrant this? Because it's, eh. but watching it again, this, I've seen this movie set more than twice. Uh, like, I've seen this movie like three or four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but watching it this last time, I was like, you know what? The last like 20 minutes of the movie, specifically after the flooding, they have just been building to Kim boiling over to the point where it makes sense that he would stab Park. It's not even about his character. It's about what his character represents. It's about the lower class finally standing up for to the upper class and going like, I'm not taking your bullshit anymore. Like he saw Park hold his nose over O and was like, that's it. Like you don't even see this person as a person. Mm-hmm. You're pushing him over to get to your car keys mm-hmm. and holding your nose doing it. Like, and this man's last words were, "I have respect for you." Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I. I mean, it's the it's the only. I. I mean, like I said, the basement with everything that Mungguang is the uh, is an obvious choice. I, I also went with the ending. Uh, I think that. It's like we said, and that uh, you know, not to harp more on it, but it's just like, and how fast everything happens. But even the way that, like you said, it boils down to the smell, and it's just kind of like, because the smell is so built up throughout, and you're like, what's the point of them bringing this up? And then it, it finally has a, a moment of, of fruition. Um, I heard a story recently about um, a couple, who I don't know, there were, I, I, it was a coworker of mine was telling me about a couple where uh, I guess it was like a husband and wife, and the husband had a tool. I don't know if it was used for like woodworking and it was like a hatchet on one end and it was like a hammer on the other. And uh, I don't know, I guess they were known to fight and the husband snapped one day, took the tool and he, I guess he murdered his wife. I guess he, like, you know, he gave her, you know, whatever, he bashed her in the head with it, uh, with whatever. And like then a couple tools. hours, yeah. <laughs> and a couple, a couple hours later, he, uh, he turned himself in. And so I think it's interesting because like what I was talking to my coworker about is that mo- those moments people have where they say, how far does someone get to the point where they're angry or they're aggressive and they let their emotions get to them where they 
they they they can no longer control what they're doing. They they kind of let their anger get the best of them, and that's all in fruition at the end of the film, because it's kind of like okay, it's like kind of a normal movie that these characters are interacting, and you get to this ending, and it's complete chaos, but it's almost justified because you spent over two hours with these characters, yeah, and I then mean, it just ends in it, abrupt violence, and it's all out of emotion. I mean, this ends in a joke, but in Deadpool, you know, Colossus mentions like there are only like three or four moments like just take three or four moments to clear your head before you make a decision obviously again it ends in a joke with deadpool killing uh ajax aka francis but you know that's kind of the point you know there's some moments where your anger just boils over and you can't control what you do I think that anyway. it boils down with those twists. I think that it's really, it's all boils down to their emotions coming to this point of fruition. I never saw it coming. Especially since he also mentioned a few scenes ago that he has no real plan. You know, right. the, his plan was, it, it just came to him. He can't, he could never have he planned that. control it. Yeah, that's literally just a response. So yeah, it could never have seen it coming. So best metaphor, good luck narrowing it down to one, but you're up. Um, I just went with literal elevation. I went yeah, with the, I just went with elevation in terms of the, and we've talked about this for, we, I think we talked, we talked about this in Barking Dogs. So bringing it, how there's these apartment buildings and he's holding the dog up in the sunlight. And he's like, you know, you feel like there's this upper class and then they've got them, you've got the janitor up underground and he's eating these dogs. Okay, obviously Bong loves elevation, right? He loves so, basements. Yeah. He loves basements, notable basements. All he loves the basements, show. murder, drop kicks, you know? I went with the elevation because it's just for, to me, I've never seen a more visual representation than any of his movies than this one where the show okay. is like, the, no, I was going to say, I thought you were going to stop and just say, I've never seen a more literal translation, but I was going to mention the movie, but never mind. No, I was going to say, because like they, they live in a basement, it's dingy, and then it gets flooded. And then the park, you know, parks live in this house. Like I said, that scene where they're following, uh, you know, they're following him up the stairs and there's the reveal of the house and there's the sunlight. It's the first time you see sunlight, they're follow- they're, the house is surrounded by all this brush and you're like, this really feels like I'm moving up. Like, it's like, I'm escalating. I'm moving up towards like this very heavenly kind of like promising wealthy area. And he makes his use of class so visually cued by whether, by literal heights and the highs and lows uh, in locations. But I even that was more than that, you have a situation where yes, you're on like top of Mount Olympus here, mm-hmm. but underneath this house, there's a basement that harbors dark secrets absolutely which is i mean obviously there were like 20 metaphors in this movie you could have gone sure. with the stink bug you could have gone I, with the I, rock you could have gone with it. a bunch of stuff but i'm gonna go with the action with the dark doorway to the basement okay because if you notice that entire the entire movie it's not just like that it's not lit it's that it's literally completely black mm-hmm. it is a dark hole it is a yeah, vortex yeah, yeah. of it's a horror down there <laughs> it's a literal black hole yeah and it harbors the dark secrets not just of the uh park family but of oh living down there of mm-hmm. nam Goon's like darkness uh, you know the architecture mm, of this good. whole thing so that, that's the one i'm gonna go with so it's a literal doorway to a dark a dark area you ready to get into final discussion here? I am. So yes. I can kick it off. What's so interesting to me, sure. 
and you know we mentioned this a couple times uh, throughout the podcast about movie titles meaning more than one thing and parasite is i think the perfect name for this movie because you're forced to ask the question what does it mean and, mm-hmm. and you know on the onset you think okay well the kim family are clearly the parasites mooching off of the rich people they've infiltrated them and are like sucking them dry but then if you take a step back and learn more about bong joon ho you realize that he's asking you a question because yes these people have infiltrated the rich people's houses but the rich people have sucked are are just as equally parasites they have sucked the lower class so dry right. that they feel as though they have no other recourse but to soup but to stoop to lying and stealing and cheating their way to the top and it's asking how much how different are the kims really from the parks i yeah i think the whole movie is a gray area on purpose and i think in the sense it's one of probably and i know it's bold because the movie's still fairly new but it's probably one of the most pivotal and relevant films to to classism that i, I think i've ever seen like it's one of the it's like what i mean it's so easy as moviegoers to sympathize with characters and then to hate other characters and to go okay well the kims are the good guys and the parks are the bad guys but this the whole crux of the of of um nam goong's you know the twist with nam goong and her and and oh is that no this is not what it was like this is not about good and evil and about like you know rights and uh, poverty like i mean yes it's about that on the surface but like really like the film ends in chaos and anyone who doesn't know these characters walks in on that moment seeing characters being murdered has clear they have clear understanding of like who's right and who's wrong because like at the end of the day it's like we were talking about crossing that line with emotion and it's kind of like so much of this movie is like characters living their lifestyles based on their classist situation so it's based on their economic backgrounds but it's 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 in it's influencing and infiltrating who they are so like obviously park is you know he's a dick and like you hate you you park but at the end of the day it's like that's just the life he's always known he's never known anything but wealth and class and so he's he is judgmental and snotty and it's like it's not right but also like i mean it's it's still you look at the the kim family like you said like they infiltrate they're 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 basically low-key criminals so it's like I don't know. It's like, where do you draw that line? And I love that it's a, the whole movie is a giant ambiguous gray area. You also mentioned something about how this movie is relevant mm-hmm. and Kim, uh, Bong Joon-ho, I don't remember the exact quote, but he said that one of the reasons that this movie is so like relevant is he said, yes, it is like, supposed to be just a Korean film, but in a way, the world is living under a capitalist market system. So we all really live in one world. It's a capitalist world, which is why everyone can relate to this movie, especially in today's society when you have the ultra rich like Bezos and Elon Musk. Musk just became the world's richest man over Bezos. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have people who are literally like on food lines because COVID killed all of their savings. Right. 
you know, I don't mean to make this about COVID, but, you know, it destroyed a lot of people's savings. Right. You know, I can't even imagine. I'm, I don't know. I feel like Bong Joon-ho would make a good COVID movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with everything, he's had very COVID friendly, you know, moments with masks and, you know, whatever, and, and yeah. sickness and whatnot. But also like, it's like what you're saying is like, uh, you know, just going in a circle here. It's kind of like, it's the, the movie's universally relevant. It's kind of like, it's, it's amazing that he took a concept and he's like, this is a, uh, this commentary on South Korean culture. And yet Americans were, gave it best picture. And people were like, no, no, this is the movie we need. So it's almost like in the way that like you and I talked about in our like 2020 wrap up show, uh, talking about like, we talked about a lot of movies that are like relevant to what happened in 2020, what happened with COVID. And it's funny because it's like, you know, I personally like diving into movies that don't delve too close to reality because it's like reality is already hard enough. So it's like, I'd rather dive into like a fantasy, a fiction, something I can just get lost into. But when they, when films like these are such good fictional stories that rub so closely with our reality, like you can't help but like acknowledge, like there's a reason like we need that these movies win awards. There's a reason that people need to give movies like these, uh, uh, this attention, you know what I mean? Like, and it's just, more than any other movie he's done it's kind of like i uh, it's it just yep. speaks volumes for commentary that so many people can relate to and like we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast kind of like wes anderson this is literally everything that bong joon ho has been building to from the beginning of his career this says everything that he has been talking about since the beginning of his career you know, obviously we've, yeah. we've been extensively talking about uh, the rich versus poor, but even down to like the last sequence, when you get to, what's his face, Ki Woo in the hospital and the police officer is reading the Miranda rights to Ki Woo and Ki Woo just laughs in his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the police are seen as a joke. You know, that's quintessential bomb. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then you have the media turning this whole thing into a circus. He loves mm-hmm. commentating on the media. There's so many um, themes and symbols that he loves playing with. And in that way, like you mentioned before, which blew my mind, it's just very Hitchcockian. Hitchcock really only made one movie his yeah. entire life. It's just told through different styles. There's a reason it would that, 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 that it works. Yeah. And this is the same kind of thing. And you know, that really like blew my mind because this is shot like a Hitchcock movie too. Of course. Yeah. Um, it's it's almost like his, it's, it's almost like Bong's thesis. It's almost like, and I think going, and we'll talk more about this in our wrap-up show, but it's kind of like in the way that, uh, in the way that he's made commentary all along, it's almost like he's kind of, like we said, it's been sprinkles, but it's really just been kind of building to kind of this moment. So it's kind of, but he, at the end of the day, it's like he still turned away he made the host and he was offered monster movies and he didn't want to do them. You know what I mean? And he made, yeah. uh, you know, and he made Snowpiercer, which has been turned into a TV show. And, you know, it's kind of like he could have go, he could have gone in so many different directions and yet he constantly kept on course that led him to Parasite, which is like a representation of everything he's done. So it's kind of, you know, um, I don't, I don't really know what, what more could be said about it. It's really like, it feels like we've built, it's ironic that we're ending the way we are because yeah. it's not quite like Nolan where it's like, it, you know, it's cool, which goes on a, I know it always comes back to Nolan, but it's like, um, this really feels like we've built steps up to this, 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 this movie. So it's, which I'm is why, again, you know, it reminds me of Wes Anderson because he's built up to this point. And when you get to the last, well, maybe not with Wes, because 
uh, Isle of Dogs was his last movie. But, you know, you build mm-hmm. to a point where you're like, I want more, you know? Anyway, I think that's a good place to end yeah, yeah, this yeah. conversation on um, Parasite. Tell me, Josh, do you I have agree. a pick of the week? I do. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Richard Iotti's 2013 movie, The Double, starring Jesse Eisenberg. Huh. Um, it's a sleep. It's a sleeper. I think a lot of people. It came out. I saw it on Netflix in 2013, and a lot of people. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it. Uh, what I love about it, it's a dark uh, comedy uh, that's really just about like identity theft in a sense. It's like it's it's obviously very quirky. It's almost like a not quite Black Mirror, but it's like Jesse Eisenberg plays two characters, and you know he's just a one is a regular like he's like a factory worker or whatever, and, and then like this new character this new guy moves into town and it's played by jesse eisenberg but no one notices that they look alike except <laughs> for the two people so it's it's very strange and it's very but the whole idea is that his like his girlfriend starts dating this new guy and then the new guy you know gets his job and it's i don't know but this whole idea of um identity theft i think would rung true um also in a, a darkly comedic way um it's something that a lot of people don't know about it seems but i uh I, I got a real kick out of it i think there's a lot to be said about it it's and, a good one tell uh, the good people at home what your pick of the week was i'm gonna go with i butchered korean today now it's time to butcher japanese here i'm gonna go with hirokazu's uh Corida's film shoplifters from oh, 2018 man. that's a good pick uh this one also won the palm door the year before parasite and tells a similar story of a dysfunctional family on the lower end of the economic totem pole but it has a more serious kind of tone throughout it doesn't have Bong Joon-ho's uh wit necessarily but that doesn't mean it's any worse it's no it's still that's a great movie yeah it is a great movie and it has like I said, it just because it doesn't have Bong Joon-ho's wit doesn't mean it's any less deep. This movie touches on a lot of dark and uh, prevalent messages of the day and age and questions the dynamics of family, not just uh, mothers, uh, not just fathers and children, but husbands and wife and just what really constitutes a family and what constitutes just grifters in general yeah absolutely it's also a very relevant movie for what it does it's a it's a it's a very similar comparison for many different reasons that's that's definitely good yeah i that that's a great movie i actually regret that movie not being on my top 10 of 2018 such a shame such what a, a shame lo- what a loss looking back you know on your top 10 lists it's kind of like oh i forgot this one I mean, but, I update them all the time, so that's just me, though. <laughs> I, I can update them, but I'm also, like, kind of a purist where I'm kind of like, all right, this was my list, so I'm kind of just like, I, you know, I, and I made them public, so it's like, I kind oh, of just course. like... Yeah, when you go back, you know, I get, when yeah, I, yeah. I can go back and say, like, revised list, but it's also... It's not the like, same. It's not it loses, the same. It loses its pizzazz. It's kind of like the Oscars being like, hey, last year we gave Best Picture to uh, this movie, but you know what? we've decided we've looked back at our films and we're actually going to give it to yeah, exactly you know how many times the oscars <laughs> would love to go back and be like you know what maybe braveheart would maybe giving mel gibson the oscar was not the best call well, i mean let's yeah, go yeah, with yeah. apollo 13 it's, instead you know i mean braveheart's you know a better movie but it doesn't matter and it's apollo still. 13 yeah 
no, no way. Uh, yeah, I'll, no I'll debate. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll debate you on that. I, I, but I, Mel Gibson as a person. That right now. But Mel Gibson as a person, I mean, I get how it can, you know, change how people look at, the, you know, the films themselves. But I mean, I know you and I, you know, may stand up. I'm not sitting. I'm not going to say Braveheart is a bad movie. I will never say that. But I think that Apollo 13 is a more ripping movie. Anyway, uh, we're not here think, to debate those two. I think they're both really close. I'd still probably give it to Braveheart, but you and I could do that on another show. We'll do it on our Oscar show coming soon. All right, <laughs> not, everyone. Not really. <laughs> so this episode, this concludes our episode of Parasite. Uh, as always, you could follow me on Instagram and Letterbox at uh, Mr. Filmart. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Who Is Filmography. And Josh, where could the good people find you? You can find me on Letterboxd at Beesh. It's exactly how it sounds. Uh, but yes, follow follow the podcast on Instagram, Who's Filmography. We are around. Yes, and just remember, everyone, you will, will never take away our freedom. Oh, God. or our respect. 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 <laughs> Goodbye, everyone.